we're in a message series, if you missed last week, that is called Making Christmas Lighter. And last week we talked about giving up some of the stuff that holds us back, that kind of weighs us down, that makes us too burdened during the Christmas season, and how there's some things that are far more important than we do treat them. Uh, and there's other things that we treat as important that really have no value at all. And, uh, you know, so today what I want to do is, is kind of talk about letting go of some of the mental clutter that gets in our brains, especially this time of year, and in fact, making it really hard to focus. How many of you have noticed that it's hard to focus these days? Like, put your hand up if that's you. Yeah. It's easy to let your mind wander when we're going to think about constantly, what are we eating after church? And you know, what, what are we doing tonight? And what's that person thinking about me? And I don't like the outfit that guy's wearing over there across the aisle or whatever it is. It's just hard to focus. And, you know, it's hard for me to focus sometimes looking out at all of you while I do this because there's some guy sleeping in the back and, and then there's a couple over here talking through the whole message, not listening to a word I say. And sometimes you guys wonder why I get loud sometimes. It's because I'm trying to wake up the guy in the back. So that's why I do that. But it's a fight to focus sometimes. It's a fight to focus. And, uh, but the part I want to share with you today is it is absolutely and completely worth the fight to get some real focus in your life, but to focus on the right things. And so today I want to talk about uh, distractions and how we really need to figure out how to release those distractions that keep us from focusing on the right things. I looked up the root word for distraction. Uh, it's there on your notes. It's actually derived from a Latin word that was formed in the 1590s, and the word literally means a pulling apart a pulling apart. It means a separating or a drawing of the mind in different directions. It's a pulling apart. Do you guys realize that you have a spiritual enemy who with all the forces of hell is trying to distract you from living for the things that matter the most? Constantly trying to get you to focus on the things that don't matter so that you don't actually live the things that do. It's like his number one mission in life. And the Bible says that he wants to use every demonic force available to pull apart, to divide your mind, to discourage your soul, uh, to get you depressed, to disengage your faith, and really to distract you from all the things that matter most. In fact, I have a note there on your outline. It says, the devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. If he can distract you, eventually he's going to neutralize you, or worse, you'll end up destroying yourself because distractions can absolutely lead to destroying of you. And so I want to kind of set the tone for this message today with a powerful story from, from the life of Jesus Christ. Um, and really this story shows the love of Jesus and, and his encouragement to, to stay focused on what really matters. It's found in Luke's gospel. It's Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. And this story is about two sisters, if you haven't heard it before, who appear to be hosting some sort of a dinner at their home. And uh, verse 38 says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was what? Say it aloud. Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted. And you know, I don't blame her. If Jesus is coming to my house, I'm going to be pretty high anxiety. How about you? 
that's not going to be like an easy party for me to throw. I want everything to be just right. And so if I'm kind of picturing that story, I'm imagining her, she's got the casserole in the oven, but the pie's got to go in really quick. And she's making sure his tea's going to be refilled all night. And she wants to make sure that the toilet paper matches the shower curtains. Or I don't know what matters to her, but she's just worrying about all this stuff that really doesn't matter, but she thinks it does. And she's just wanting to be a great host. And I don't blame her. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Lord coming to her house. And it says she's distracted by all the preparations that need to be made. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my lazy, no good sister, (laughs) it's basically what she's saying here, and you all have one like that. Every family has one, and if you don't think you have one in your family, guess what? It's probably you. (laughs) You know, that family member who never brings anything to the meal except the Tupperware and the Ziploc bags to take leftovers home. (laughs) And this is Mary. You know, and, and she's just sitting there at the Lord's feet enjoying his presence and, and allowing him to pour into her while Martha is getting all the work done. And it, so before I go deeper, let me just point something out because every time I ever hear this story preached, Martha gets a really bad rap. And let's stop giving Martha a bad rap because Martha's actually not doing anything wrong. I, I want to just take a moment and thank God for people like Martha because it's because of people like Martha that you eat, okay? And that your bills are paid. <laughs> Because these are the workhorses. These are the people that get out there and get it done. And, and, you know, this is why some of us have Christmas presents to unwrap. Because there's a Martha out there working. And, you know, if Mary was running the world, a lot of us would starve to death. And so, so I just want to give Martha some kudos. Because a lot of times she gets put down when we read this story. But it says, Mary came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister Mary has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me out. And then... In verse 41, guys, we see this pretty unusual expression of love from Jesus, but it's really powerful. Just watch how Jesus loves Martha here. I would say in the way that Jesus wants to love some of you in this room right now in this moment that you're in. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Another version says you're worried and distracted by so many things, but few things are needed. He could have said, but few things are important, but few things really matter, you know? And then with love, he looks her in the eye and he says, Mary, in this moment, has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. So he's saying, Martha, Martha, you have a good heart. You know, you have good intentions, but in this moment, you're distracted. And you're distracted by things that aren't that important. Everybody say distracted. Right, because the phone dings and it bings and I got an email and I got a text message and I got a Facebook notification and oh, there's another ad and oh, somebody posted a cat video. That's hilarious. I got to watch that. And I got to check my social media to see if I got a comment on that picture uh, that I put up because it was the perfect hashtag and just the right filter. So there should be a million comments on it. And you know, oh my gosh, we have to do Christmas shopping after church. We don't have time for anything else. And we got to make sure we get food in our bellies and our kids have soccer. And and then another kid has to be at dance and somehow we got to get food into them. So we better go through a drive-thru or at least find an old French fry under the seat, which sometimes is all that's available. And we just have so many places to go and so many things to do. And there's another cat post. I got to look at that. And there's this and there's that. And what are they going to think? And do my shoes work? And does this outfit fit? And am I going to be popular enough? And am I living the right way? And do I have enough things? Because, you know, if I had more things, I'd be happy. What are they going to think? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do. And this is the way that some of us live. She was distracted. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted and upset by so many things, but only a few things really matter. Only a few things are really going to last, are really that important. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better. 
And so what's interesting to me in this story that some people point out but most don't is that Martha was not actually doing anything bad. I want you to notice that. Martha was not doing anything wrong in this scenario. Do you see that? She wasn't doing anything wrong. She wasn't sinning. She was doing something good. She was trying to be a good host. She was trying to take care of her guests. Those are good things. But that doesn't mean she was doing the best thing in that moment. We have to recognize sometimes, if you're taking notes, so often the most difficult choices in life are not between good and bad, but they're between good and what's better or best. And sometimes if the devil can't get us to sin or choose the bad wrong thing, his next best option, which he actually uses more often, I'm learning, is to get you to choose something that really is a good thing. Nobody would say it's wrong, but that distracts you from the thing over here, which really is the far better or best thing you could possibly choose. And so you kind of get in this point where you're going through life doing these mundane, normal, average, ordinary type things when you could be choosing these great things. And he puts those choices before you, and we need to choose the things that best honor God and best make a difference in the world that we live. And so, so how do we do that? How do we, with the help of God, choose what's better or choose what's best? Because, you know, every force in hell, guys, wants to distract you from the things that matter the most and that are actually going to last for eternity. And so how do we allow God to help us choose what's best? So let me give you a couple thoughts today, and, and we're just going to let Scripture speak to us, hopefully, in a way that really moves us. So the first thing that I'm working on doing, and I've been trying to do this a lot this year, and I'm, I'm not even close to being there, but I'm getting better, is I want to reduce the distractions. I want to reduce the distractions. I want to distance myself from that which would tempt me to even be distracted. In fact, I love the, the directness of the Apostle Paul. He's actually talking about, let me share the right context, he's talking about marriage and relationships in this particular passage, but I want you to listen to it kind of through a different lens here as I read you this part, because it applies to both. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. So he's given this advice, and he says, basically, I'm giving you this advice, and I'm saying these things for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. In other words, some people read the Bible and they see it as a bunch of rules, like this legalistic type thing, and Paul's actually saying, all these things that I just told you to do, they're not rules for you to follow legalistically like, like you're some person being punished. I'm actually telling you these things to do differently for your own benefit. In other words, these things I just shared with you, it's not just about obeying a holy God. I'm actually telling you these things because God actually gave you these instructions so that you would be benefited by them so that your life would be better, so that you'd have more enjoyment and, and live a better life. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. I don't want you to just accept the average and the normal. I want you to do what helps you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. Everything in the dark world wants to distract you from that which matters most. And so he's saying, I want you to focus on the things that you really have within you that help you serve God best. Those are the things that matter the most, not the things that don't help you serve God. And, and by the way, what's one of the worst, most devious distractions we have today? I'll give you a hint. It's this, okay? This is one of the biggest distractions in the world today. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly not the best thing the way that most of us use it. And I'll get into that in a second. But I would argue that in our culture, we do have the Trinity, but it's the wrong Trinity. It's Father, Son, and this. And this takes the time that we're supposed to spend on the other stuff. And, and you know, this little thing, although it does so much good, I just want to point out that 
for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, mankind somehow survived without it, that it didn't even exist. It's a very new thing. It's only been a couple of decades that anything like this has even existed. I just want to point that out. And, and yet so many of us get so much anxiety if we even have to put it down for five minutes. And it just creates, I got to check it. I got to see what's going on. I got to connect to that. And, you know, don't touch that. That's my phone. In fact, I did some research. The average person today in our country cannot go 10 minutes without checking this device. 10 minutes. And so if you ever wonder why, if you feel that about yourself, that you are not as productive as you'd like to be with your life, that you're not as efficient or effective, if you ever wonder why your relationships are not as intimate as they should be, if you ever wonder why you're not as efficient or, or why your wife doesn't look at you the same anymore or your husband, it might be because you spend so much time staring at this instead of her. I just want to point that out. Amen. So <laughs> you got to pay attention to these things. And so uh, I did some math on this, though, because, you know, so many people can't go 10 minutes without staring at this little screen. And since you're so quiet, I'm going to stay here just a few minutes longer. So let's also talk about social media. I wasn't going to bring that one up, but I'm going to bring that up, too. The average person today spends at least two hours a day checking social media. That's the accurate statistic. And guys, I'm not bashing social media. I enjoy social media. I like it. I, I, I get a lot of good out of it. There's value in it. But two hours a day on social media, let me break that math out for you if you're not a math person. Those of you that are younger than me, if you keep that trend up, by the time you pass away, you will have spent seven years on social media of your life. That's what that adds up to if you live to the average lifespan. Do you really want to look back at your life when you pass from this earth and realize that seven years straight, time-wise, of your life was spent on social media. Do you know what else you could do with seven years? Do you know what kind of relationships you could have? Do you know, you know some of you feel like you're not close to people? That's probably why, because that's not real. Relationships are face-to-face, -face, not through a screen. And this is a great way to keep in touch with people, but that's why you don't often feel the closeness. That's a lot of time. You know, and scrolling, tapping, seven years of my life. Whoa, somebody just commented a heart face emoji. That's so cool. Seven years feeling left out, feeling less than, comparing yourself to others on there, wondering why Lisa doesn't comment on my photo either, ever. I've commented on hers all the time. That's not right. You know, in other words, this isn't a bad thing. It's a, this is a good tool, right? I can order pizza on this, and it's at my house in less than 30 minutes with the push of a button. Right? I can communicate with my grandparents who don't live here. I can, there's all kinds of amazing things this does. But it needs to be limited, and I need to put my focus on the things that truly matter because, you know, my life is too valuable, and, and my purpose that God's laid out for me is too great, and, and God's too faithful for me to spend seven years of my life on that kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, God gave you gifts. He created you. He gave you passion, and he gave you uh, purpose and ability to do things for him, but, man, seven years, that's a lot of time. And, uh, again, not a good thing, or not a bad thing, but Martha, he's saying, you're so worried sometimes, you're so upset about so many things, but really only a few things truly matter in the eyes of God. By the way, this is confessions of a pastor. When Apple first came out with this new thing that's on there now where it actually every day tracks automatically for you how much time you spend on different sections of your phone, my God, I had to repent. Because I looked down at it the first day that came out, the first day, and I saw, and I was less than average compared to most people. But still, I did the math because I'm a math guy, and it was a ridiculous amount of time that I spent on social media. I had to turn from my ways because 
you know, in other words, I need to leave this far away sometimes. If I can't handle it, I'm going to put it away and disconnect from it for a while because I don't want to spend that much of my life on it. There's so many more important things. So you need to reduce the distractions. And so what I'm saying is what I want to do is treat whatever could distract me, whatever it is, I want to treat it like it's temptation to sin. And I've taught on this before. There's specific things that you are supposed to do biblically when you're tempted to sin. You don't just fight the temptation. You remove yourself as far away from the temptation as you can. Because people that flirt with temptation and just stand on the line of temptation or get close to the line their whole life, they end up crossing the line constantly. So it's not that you're fighting temptation. It's that you're trying to get yourself as far away from it as possible. It's the same thing with the things that distract you. I like what Solomon says. He's talking about, he calls it the immoral woman. <laughs> he's talking about the woman that's going to take, take him down because she's so uh, sensuous and tempting. And here's what he says. Let me share with you what he does not say. He does not say, just invite her out for a drink and no more. He does not say, uh, you know, let's just sit in the car and talk for two hours and play truth or dare because that won't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say that. He says, you know, we'll just get together in the car alone in a dark parking lot and pray together, sister. You know, he doesn't say that. Here's what he says, these exact words. He says, stay away from her. That's what he says. Everybody say, stay away. And then he says, he takes it further. He says, don't even go near the door of her house. In other words, well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love all people. I'm just going to bring her some cookies. No. He says, don't even go near the door of her house if that's a temptation for you to go down the wrong path. I want to treat distractions the same way that I treat temptations to sin. I want to distance myself from those things that are going to distract me from what matters most. I'm going to stay away from it. So some of you, it might be that you need to do what I do with my phone. During study time while I'm preparing a sermon, I have to really focus and spend a lot of time on that, and this is very distracting to me, so I'll actually lock this in my desk drawer, and the key, there's a key to open it in my pocket. Okay? I'm not going to re- pull out my key every time that I want to check it every 10 minutes, so it, it stays safe in there. I take it a step further even because I can still hear it in my desk drawer. So what I do is I use this awesome feature that more of you need to use called Do Not Disturb. And I have it set where if my family tries to get a hold of me, it'll still notify me via a sound, but anything else isn't as important, and I'm going to get this done with focus. So it's locked in that drawer. I'm going to distance myself from it. Some of you need to just kind of get some kind of noise cancellation thing for where you work because you have people at your job that have the spiritual gift of loud and you just can't focus on anything and you can't get your work done and that's just what they are and silence that stuff out so you can focus. Some of you need to delete the distracting apps on your phone or at least put them on the last page so you have to scroll to them. Um, social media, if it's an idol to you, if you can't go without checking it, maybe, you know what, seven years of your life doing that, maybe you just need to get that in your brain. Um, some of you, it might be Fortnite. If you don't know, you don't know. Um, <laughs> you can still do the dance or whatever, that's fine. Um, it might be that you turn off notifications on your phone so it's not constantly bing, bing, ding, 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 which is taking you away from whatever you're focused on at that moment that's more important. Email, email, all that stuff. Um, some of you, it might be people. Can I be that blunt? Some people in your life are a distraction from what matters the most. And, uh, you know, by all means, as followers of Christ, we want to love all people. Okay, don't hear me not say that. We are called to be friend to all people. But that does not say that you need to let all people into your inner circle where they have influence over the direction of your life. Those are different, very different things. And the problem I've seen is people take this stuff where it says love all people and be friend to all people and they twist it to mean I'm supposed to let all people close to me where they actually have power over my life and say and influence into my life. 
And the scripture says a lot about that. It says, do not be deceived. Bad friends corrupt good character. Walk with the wise, you become wise. And it says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Let me just be blunt, but also totally biblical because the Bible's blunt sometimes. If four out of your five friends are fools, you're a fool. I just want to throw that out. That's a biblical concept. If four out of your five closest people in your life that influence you are fools, then you're a fool. That's what that's saying. You can't live the right life when you always have the wrong friends. They influence your life more than you know. Some of you, you're dating a distraction, and I just made some boyfriends mad, and that's okay. But listen, if he is distracting you from serving Jesus, from participating in your church, from doing the things that God's called you to do, then you need to delete him and allow God to upgrade him because there's better out there for you. And it's not that you're necessarily choosing too bad, but you're not choosing best. And so sometimes you need to wait and choose best and, and make sure that's someone that's treating you with respect, okay? And same goes for a girl, guys. If some girl that you're dating is not leading you down the path God wants for you, delete. No amens there. I thought there'd be more. But if there's, at least from parents of teenagers or something, if there's, if there's anything that is consistently distracting, what I want to do is distance myself from it so that I'm not as easily distracted, okay? Because it's a fight. Somebody say it's a fight. Because it is. Okay, but it's worth the fight. So you're reducing the distractions. Here's the second one. I put the word fight again because it really is a fight. I'm also going to fight to focus on what's important. I'm going to fight to focus on what's important. Here's the words of Solomon in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. He says this. I love the imagery here. He says, set your gaze on the path before you. Then I love this next phrase. He says, with fixed purpose. With fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignoring life's distraction. So I'm setting my gaze ahead. The author of Hebrews said this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So with fixed gaze, we look ahead. With fixed purpose, we walk a straight path. I learned this um, years ago when I made this dumb decision one night at a school carnival to try to walk on stilts. <laughs> and uh, there were some guys walking on stilts at this school carnival, and I remember going up and saying, hey, can I try that? And they're like, sure, but you're not going to do it well. And I'm like, well, you don't know my ninja skills. Let me try it. And so I hop up on the stilts, and they let go of me. And if you don't know what stilts are, they're like these poles where your feet are about that high, at least these, these ones. These were amateur ones. And then there's sticks that come up here that you hold on to so you can try to walk on these poles. And so I remember getting up there, and I took one step, and literally it was like a tree falling down. And I didn't let go, but there was a thud as I hit the ground. And it was painful, and I got up, and my ego was bruised and all that. And the guy comes over to me and starts to explain to me. He says, you did the exact same thing that everybody does the first time they try this. He said, you looked down the entire time. He said, your gaze was in the wrong place. Your eyes were fixed on the thing that's going to make you go down, not the thing that's going to make you succeed. And so he said, what you got to do is, first of all, you have to keep your gaze fixed that way because that's the direction you're going. That's the first thing that's going to help you. The second thing he said is you have to fight to focus because it's hard to remember all this, that with your hands on the parts that come up here, you have to focus the whole time on holding them up against your feet as you lift them so that you can make it across the field. And I tried it again, and I went like 20 yards because my gaze was fixed in the right place, and I was fighting the whole time to focus on doing the right technique, okay, with fixed purpose. 
Peter learned this, right? Whenever Jesus walked on water, they're in the middle of the boat, and Peter kind of looks out, and he says, Jesus, is that you walking on the water? And Jesus is all holy, and he goes like, yes, it is I. And Peter says, I want to come out there with you. And Peter, you know the story, he gets himself out of the boat, and he's looking at Jesus, and what does he do? He walks on the water, right? With fixed purpose, he sees Jesus. Step by step, his eyes were on Jesus. He's focused on the prize. If you read the story carefully, it's only when he looks away and his gaze shifts to the wave and the winds that it says Peter starts to sink and cries out in fear. And some of you are sinking and you're constantly feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling behind, or you're feeling less than. You always believe there's something more. Why is it that you find yourself sometimes sinking constantly? Could it be that you're always looking at the wind and the waves instead of fixing your gaze on the right things? Instead of focusing on what's truly important? You're looking at them and this and him and her and this and that instead of fixing your eyes and focusing on Jesus, which is the thing we should all be focused on every day. The only way we can truly serve God, guys, is to seek him first. Let me, what does the scripture say in Matthew 6? We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, seek first. It says it several times in Scripture. That's why the first thing that I do with my day is not Facebook. It's this. It's prayer. That's the first thing you do with your day because it puts your focus in the right place for the rest of the day. That's why the first of every week, did you notice this is the first day of our week? The first of every week, this is what we do. We come together as the family of God. We worship Him together. We get our focus in the right place. We hear a teaching from His Word to ground us for the week ahead. The first of the week. Seek first in all that you do. The first of the year, what's a good practice if you've never tried it? To fast as you prepare for the upcoming year and seek God and, and eliminate some, some physical nutrition for a little bit so that your focus is forced to be on God as you allow Him to speak to you. That's a, that's a great biblical practice to do at the first of the year. Eyes focused on Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you don't ever wander into righteousness. You don't accidentally fall into, into living right. You, know, you, don't, you don't trip and all of a sudden, you know, with no intention at all, you're bringing all this glory to God. How do you do it? You do it with fixed purpose. You do it with your gaze pointed in the right direction. You, you have to be intentional about it by not being distracted by the things of this world and you keep your eyes on Jesus. It does not happen accidentally. I'll tell you something just kind of personal but something I've been working on this year because I've noticed that what appears to be a strength in my life, and it is, I've also realized can be a major weakness in my life at the same time. And so I'm, I'm somebody that when I'm at work, I produce. I, I'm driven, I, I, I wanna get results, and I put my nose down and I work hard, and, and I, I, I can be more efficient and effective than the average person in a less amount of time, and I just pour myself in and try to get things done. And that's just kind of how I've always been in that area. I get a lot done. And I can, I can drive people and inspire people, but I've also realized there's a weaker side of that, that sometimes the way that I do it or the way I communicate or the lack of communication can sometimes affect people in a negative way, even sometimes some of the people that I lead. And so what I've done is I've created these little goals, and ironically, I've put them on my device, but it's a good use of the device, you see. And so it's helping me focus. So what I've done is I've created these little categories in this app that I use, and every time that I do something in those categories of things that I wanna see more of in my life, I tap it, and it puts a little, almost like a drop in the bucket, okay? And so it records it, it kind of gives me a track record of I'm developing these better habits in my life, and I'm putting my focus on the things that don't matter instead of just 
the things that often get left aside. And so I've been trying to focus on this stuff this year of not overlooking some of the more important things. And so I added a few different categories here of things that I feel like I just, I want to get better at. One of them is what I'm going to call random generosity or spontaneous generosity, okay? Every year I'm, I'm very calculated. I'm planned out with my giving and my generosity and my giving back to God and all that stuff. And I, I try to be faithful in that. But there's other times where the Spirit just leads you, you know, and you, you feel like being generous, but you're not ready to be that spontaneous. And I'm not very good at that because I'm more of a calculated person. And so I've been trying to get better at that. And so, you know, I, I don't know. It, sometimes it's like I'm in the coffee shop and I just pay for somebody's drink. Or we're out to dinner and... You know, we don't even tell him or her we're going to do this, but we can tell that the, the waitress is like a single mom or a college student, and so you know they're struggling, and so you leave an extra big tip just to kind of gift them in some way. Um, you know, maybe it's the end of the year, and Amy and I just say, you know what, we want to sacrifice a little bit more and just give an end of the year a little bit more back to God, and, and just all these different, more spontaneous ways of blessing people, and you know, a lot of you think, well, you're a pastor, your life's more flexible. It doesn't feel that way. It feels a little more constrained. You know that joke, pastors only work on Sundays? Yeah, that's not how it works. Um, but because I want to get it all in, I actually am very strategic in scheduling out my schedule every day, and I'm actually pretty predictable. It's not really all that adventurous or exciting what I do every week. Like, it, it's, it's, it's very scheduled, and it's the same day off every week, and I try to protect that with, with a vengeance for my family and, and stuff like that. But to me sometimes, and my wife will affirm this, spontaneity is sometimes like the S word to me, right? Like it's not something that comes naturally for me. And so I'm just trying to get out of my shell and, and, and try to do things more unpredictable in my day as I follow God's leading. Um, in light of that, another category I chose is to break out of the routine by investing more into some relationships that maybe I don't put a lot of time in. Placing people constantly at a higher priority than the tasks on my list to complete. That's something that many of us need to make a higher priority. And, you know, having a moment where I'll just drop everything and take a staff member to coffee for an hour, even though it wasn't in my schedule I planned out the day before, because I can just tell that, that he needs to talk and vent or whatever it might be. Or somebody stops by unannounced, which, you know, our schedules are pretty tight here sometimes. And so if you come by unannounced for an hour meeting, it usually doesn't work out. But, you know, sometimes just setting the tasks aside and saying, you know what, let's do it. Let me just pray over you. Let's pour into you and just investing more in people than in the tasks. And that's something that I'm, I've been working on all year. And another one for me is meaningful conversations. That's something that I think all of us could focus on more, that when you're in a conversation with somebody, if you want to truly love them and have influence in their life, you need to make sure, and I've been trying to calculate this, I'm trying to make sure that I talk way less than, than, than they do in every conversation. Because if you talk less than the person you're talking to, you're actually influencing them more and you're loving them better. And that's one of the best practices that, to be honest with you, most of us stink at. You know, how can I pray for you? Let me ask follow-up questions on what you just shared with me because I'm genuinely interested in your life. Instead of just thinking about the very next thing that I want to say the whole time they're talking as if they don't matter. That's a tip for many of you. Um, for me, resting can be difficult and that's an important one as well. Some of you need to realize, you know, rest is something God has given you and even commanded you to do, and it's for a reason. And I'm not very good at it, and I see a lot of nods because some of you stink at it too, and I know you do. <laughs> but, you know, when I'm resting or having a day off, sometimes I feel like I have to be doing something, even if it's just around the house, you know, projects around the house. I just feel like I, and that's just not a true statement. And so my wife and I, a couple months ago, we actually intentionally, and we've rarely done this, 
we didn't just plan a vacation or a time away. Because I don't know if you're like this, but our typical vacation is so planned out where we're going here, we're doing this activity and doing this fun thing to the point where when we get back, we need a vacation just to recover from our vacation. It's not that restful. So this time what we did is we said we're leaving the kids with the grandparents, we're going away for a couple nights, and we're going to actually schedule rest, and that's all we're going to do. And literally, it was one of the best trips we ever had, am I right? And we, we literally did nothing. The first day, we stayed in our pajamas half the day. We, uh, we, we went on a date night that night. We had a leisurely stroll on the beach. No plans to go do anything crazy. Uh, we slept in. Um, we watched Netflix, and, and then we chilled. <laughs> um, it was just a lot of, lot of good stuff. And, uh, you, know, he, you know, he's saying, Martha, Martha, let me move on, can you feel how much I love you? Because some of you are so freaked out about the things that really don't matter and don't have as much value as, the, as you think they have. So we're going to reduce the distractions and focus on what's important. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as I give you the last one. So this is number three, guys. And this is the hardest one for me, but with everything in me, I'm going to listen to the voice of God. We have to get better at listening to the voice of God. I love this picture. I want you to picture this with me. It's in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. It says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Let me read that first part again. And your ears will hear a voice behind you. Don't you love that picture? It's almost like God is whispering, hey, wait a minute. Just stop for a second. And I, I need to whisper because that causes you to lean in and actually have to listen to the words that are actually coming out of my mouth and focus on the words coming out. That's why I'm lowering my volume. Sometimes God's voice is behind you as you're rushing forward constantly saying, wait a minute, don't do that. That doesn't actually matter. Don't stress about that. That's really not that important. And even the people you're doing it for doesn't, don't think it's that important either. Only you do. Simplify. Don't make it so complicated. Don't focus on the to-dos. Focus more on the people. Focus on the relationships. Look somebody in the eye when they're talking to you. Listen to the words coming out of their mouth. Ask God to give you eyes for that person that he has for that person instead of judging them constantly. See, that thing that you're about to do, it's good. It's not bad. It's not wrong. But let me show you something better. Let me, let me show you what would actually be best for you to spend your focus on right now. Let's walk this way. Let's walk that way because it's a little better. It's a, it's a little better than the way that you were walking. It wasn't bad, but this way is a little better. So let me just kind of direct you that way. You see, when God speaks and you listen, you hear it every time. But the listening is the part that many of us miss. God is a God who speaks. And he still speaks today with power and truth. I can't tell you how many people I talk to as a pastor who look me in the eye and say, I can't remember the last time God spoke to me. And my first question out of my mouth is always, when's the last time you opened this? And almost every single time, their answer is, it's been a few years. 
can't help you. This is the Word of God. It's the place He most speaks to His people from. Every word is true. Every word is from Him. And so if you're, if you're claiming that God doesn't speak to you, or I've even heard God doesn't exist because I don't hear His voice, but you never open His Word, you can't say that. It's a cop-out. It's an excuse. It's, it's the inability to focus on the right things and actually listen for His voice in the place He most makes it come out loud. And I'm emphasizing that because it's that important, but that's not the only way God speaks. God speaks through His Spirit. God speaks through other people. He speaks through your circumstances. He speaks through a song. He can speak to you through a message that somebody else is sharing. If you have ears to hear, a voice behind you will say, choose this, walk this way. This is more of a blessing than that. This is going to take you further than that. This matters more than that. This is the big deal. This is a smaller deal. His voice will speak to you and reveal those things to you if you'll allow it. Listen to his voice. I've talked about this before. One of my favorite times of hearing God's voice was really a couple years ago. And my wife and I talked about it. I think she was kind of feeling something similar. But I can be a little OCD. (laughs) And so can she, if I'm being honest. And so there's certain things like in our home or certain rooms in our home where we we were always just like, we want it to look like this and we want it to be this tidy and things like that. Because, you know, after coming in from a day of, of fighting against darkness, which is what I feel like I do sometimes, it's calming to me to walk into that first room and it's just a place of peace for me. It's a calming experience for me. That's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing, okay? But see, we had kids. (laughs) And one's four and one's almost two and then there's a third on the way. And those of you that have kids know it becomes almost impossible to keep everything tidy. It's just not going to happen. And it's not that important because there was this moment where I felt like God spoke directly to me and he said, Jared, you know those little havocs running around your house? There's going to be a time and it's going to come a lot quicker than you think where they're not going to be there anymore. And I see all the parents nodding. He said, you know that that precious little boy who's your favorite boy in the whole world? You know that little girl that you just can't get enough of? <laughs> he said, it's coming quick. There's going to come a day where it's a piece of cake to keep your house tidy, and you're going to wish to God that they were back, running around wreaking havoc. And he's right. So I've just kind of come to this place where that matters so much more than the other thing. The people we invite into our home to pour into and love on and just be family with, that matters so much more than what they see when they walk through the door. So much more important. Our purpose is greater than these things, is what I'm saying. See, those aren't bad things, but there's much better things to focus on. So God, help us to choose what is best. Help us to see the better way in everything that we do. Give us the power by your Spirit to overcome the distractions that try to divert us from everything that matters to your heart. Help us to listen to your voice so that 
when we end this life, we may hear your voice say, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, almost as, a, as an act of worship this morning, or this is about the fight to focus, God, really more as almost a, a declaration of war. <laughs> I pray that you will give us the strength to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. God, in all that we do at the first of the day, may every person in this room seek you first before anything else. May that be the way they begin their day. God, I've heard this before. I'm stealing it, but I'm going to say it because I love it. God, before our feet even hit the floor in the morning, may we turn to you to the point where the devil says, oh shoot, he's awake. God, at the first of every week, may we not treat this gathering together as your church, as your family, as casual or haphazard. God, may we just treat it as one of the most important pieces of our of our week as we begin our week, fixing our gaze in the right place toward your glory, toward making a difference in the world, ignoring all the distractions. And God, finally, I pray that your spirit would prompt us again and again and again and again. God, may we focus every day on loving you and loving people, which Jesus said are the two things that matter most over everything. God, some people in this room need to realize that people matter more than their to-do list. Some people need to realize that relationships matter more than our image or what people see us as or think of us. Intimacy matters more than the things we acquire. God, so help us to choose the things that are best every day, especially as we head into this Christmas season. And God, we thank you for the choices that can never be taken from us because you have given us free will. And God, we thank you for that freedom that is so often a blessing and at the same time is so often a curse. But we thank you for the freedom to choose. And so God, today we choose to love you. We choose to focus in the right place and fix our eyes on Jesus. And all God's people say,